Does your tongue ever get you in trouble? If you're anything like me, the answer to that question is yes. Your tongue gets you in trouble. Why? Because words have tremendous power. And that's what James is going to talk to us about today. He's going to nail down that words have meaning and words have power and they last longer than the sound of our words last. The book of James is a book that we could read over and over and over again. There's so much wisdom and there's there so many new truths to dive into. And so far, uh, the book of James has dealt a lot with our actions matching our words, not just being a hearer, but being a doer. And if you've missed any of these messages, I want to encourage you, uh, don't miss out on those verses. Go back and, and listen to those messages on the app or go back on Facebook Live and, and scroll down and find that message and, and go back and watch that because we don't want to miss out on the wisdom that James has for us. Now, chapter 3 digs into a problem that every one of us will struggle with for our whole life. The problem of controlling the most powerful member of our body, our tongue. This very first verse is a specific warning to those of us that feel called to be teachers and preachers of his word. He says, look, the words that you say, those of you that will represent God's word with your mouth, those of you that teach and preach and those of you that uh, share God's word have a very specific responsibility. It's very important. When we quote or represent the word of God, we need to be very careful that our words are being true to the meaning of the Bible. There's a lot of people out there that are going to twist scripture to benefit themselves or to come up with some new word of prophecy that they say is from God. Those are very scary and dangerous things to do. James 3 verse 1, a warning here. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This verse is a reminder of the great responsibility that we have to represent the word of God accurately. Because it's easy sometimes and, and, and even tempting for us to twist God's word to say what we want God's word to say. It's convenient for us to do that. Many pastors have fallen into this trap of using God's word to control people. You can go out there and find all kinds of YouTube videos and, and, and sites on the uh, internet or Facebook videos of pastors using God's word and twisting it and misrepresenting it. But this is a dangerous thing for us to do. We must be careful to make sure that we let the, God, uh, the word of God say what it wants to say not what we want it to say. First, we need to constantly remind ourselves that the Old Testament is written to the Jews first. Primarily, it's written to the Jews and secondarily can apply to us. The New Testament epistles were real, letter, uh, real letters written to real people and secondarily they apply to us. Context is everything. We need to understand how they understood God's word first. It's not written to us first, but the Bible is written for us. 
But these letters were written first to real churches in Philippi and in Corinth and in Rome and in Ephesus. But many times when we read God's word, just like what we do with many other things, we put ourselves at the center of the story. And we read the Bible like it's a personal letter addressed to us. But the Bible is first uh, a letter to real people in the past. There are real addresses on these letters. And when we ignore the context, we miss the original meaning. And we read the Bible for what we can get out of it and not for what God wants for us. So, for instance, when Philippians says we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us, that is not an inspiration that you're going to crush your workout that morning. Paul is actually telling this church that they can get through persecution that they were facing. And he's saying that God will get us through the seasons that God brings us to. He will take care of us no matter how dark it looks. The message of that is not that you can accomplish whatever you want if you just try hard enough. We've got to read it in the context of those people these words were written to. When I was in Bible college, I was preparing a sermon about Ananias and Sapphira, and you know the story, right? Ananias has a piece of land, and he goes and sells it, and he tells everyone that he's going to give all the money to the church, but really he's lying. And God strikes him dead for lying about spiritual matters to make himself look more spiritual. Well, I'm writing this sermon, right? And I'm, I'm reading these verses, and I'm studying it. Well, the verse in the King James says Ananias made his wife privy to the whole situation. Man, I thought I'd found some deep hidden truth that would really cut to people's hearts. Man, this message was going to be awesome. Well, as you know, I was living in Arkansas at this time too. So as you know, a slang word for a toilet is a privy, Right? So I had gotten this, uh, you know, written this message and, and used this part where I said that how Ananias was uh, using his wife and filling her head with all types of garbage. And that's why he, uh, God punished his wife, too. He made her privy, right? I told this to one of my older, wiser friends. He said, dude, you can't preach that. Why? Because that's not at all what the writer was trying to say. Those words didn't mean that back then, so it doesn't mean it now. I tried to make the Bible say something that it wasn't trying to say, and this is dangerous. If you're trying to teach God's people God's word, then you better be careful to use the Bible the way that it was intended to be used. If a verse didn't mean that back then, it doesn't mean it now. We need to be careful how we represent God's word. If you mainly just pull out scriptures to win arguments, that's a red flag. If you're just using it to hurt people and using God's word as a weapon against people rather than a tool to fix ourselves, that's a problem. Next, James is going to get in our face about where we really are. Verse 3. It says, if we put bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are large and are driven by the strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. 
So my tongue that accounts for 2% of my body weight can control my whole body. A horse that weighs thousands of pounds can be controlled by a small piece of metal in its mouth. A ship that weighs hundreds of tons, it can be controlled by just a small rudder, even in the fiercest of storms. And your tongue is small, but it steers your life. Your tongue is small, but it can do big things for good or for evil. The next verse, verse 5, says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. See, your words can be a spark that can do major damage in someone's life. One word can change someone's life and set a course that can change them forever. And fathers and mothers, those of you with children, your words have special weight on your children. Our words have huge weight on our kids. I had a pastor who was growing up, or uh, when I was growing up, that uh, his mom always used to jokingly say, if you had a brain, you'd be dangerous. And at 50 years old, 40 years after the fact, those words still rung in his head every time he made a mistake. If you had a brain, you'd be dangerous. Parents, our words have weight. Instead, tell your kids what you love about them. Tell them the potential that they have. Tell them the things that you see in them that are great. Words have power. Yes, absolutely correct them, but do it in a way that lifts them up. Do it in a way that grows them and propels them uh, further rather than keeping them in shame and guilt. Jesus told Peter, get behind me, Satan, just because of a few words of discouragement that Peter had spoke to Jesus. And it says in the end of this verse, in verse 6, it says that hell can be the source of that destructive fire our tongue starts. Well, how many times does our tongue do the work of Satan? The Bible says that Satan is an accuser. Well, how many times has you brought up someone else's sin and thrown it in their face? Try, they try and get things right but you bring up all the stuff they've done in the past. See, sometimes we play Satan and we bring up other sins so that Satan doesn't have to. Do we believe in forgiveness or not? See, we love when God forgets about our forgiven sin, but we're quick to remember everyone else's. The Bible also tells us that Satan is a liar, and sometimes we play Satan by lying to those around us about the consequences of their sin. That's not a big deal. Look, everybody does this stuff. We'll never get caught. You don't really believe this is wrong, right? You don't know the end of that fire that your little tongue starts. The Bible just told us that it could cause a world of sin. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We can tame bears to ride bicycles. We can tame 
elephants to paint pictures, squirrels to water ski, or killer whales to jump through hoops. Not long ago, I saw a video of a dog diving for lobsters, right? We can train animals to do amazing things, but the Bible says no man can tame the little tongue. It's full of poison. It's evil. Even the most mature and self-controlled of us finds ourselves uh, with our tongue going rogue sometimes. And we will struggle to tame our lives, uh, tame our tongues for our whole lives. And you would think, well, by the time we get to about 70 years old, we finally get control of it, right? But sometimes when we turn 70, we start not caring about what anybody else thinks, right? And then our tongue gets really out of control. But seriously, we'll struggle to tame our tongue forever. We never get to the point where we don't have to watch our words. Remember, your tongue is not on your side. And when in doubt, be quiet. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says it this way, Aspire to live quietly and mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. The King James says here, study to be quiet. I like that because it's hard for us. It's something we have to work at, practice it, work at it, talk less, tweet less, post less, and ponder and think more. Mind to your own affairs. Verse 11 says uh, of Proverbs 29, that a fool uttereth all his mind, but a wise man keepeth it until afterwards. Brandon Sanderson says it this way, you should try not to talk so much, my friend. You'll find, uh, you'll, you'll find yourself, or excuse me, let me start all the way over. See, my, your words can get you in trouble. You should try not to talk so much, friend. You'll sound far less stupid that way. I like that. Talk less. A fool is going to utter all its mind. So verse 9 goes on. Talks about our tongue even more. It says, with it, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, fresh water and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Verse 9 says, uh, out of the same mouth, we praise God and we lift up his name and yet we curse and slander and gossip about people that God made. You've heard it said after someone cusses, right? They swear. And someone, someone shouts out, you kiss your mother with that mouth? But how much worse is it to praise God with our lips and yet tear down and condemn the people that he made, the ones that are made in his likeness with our words? It shouldn't be that way. Because being a doer of the words affects how we talk. It should change us. Does a water fountain put out clean water and contaminated water? Can olives grow on a fig tree? Can you have a river that is salt water and fresh water? Something doesn't match up here. You can't have it both ways. There is a problem. The church you and the work you aren't the same person. Your church lips and your home lips don't match up. There's a problem here. 
And when there's a problem like this, we need to check the source. Luke 6.45 says, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What's real inside you will always come out. So when these horrible things you say about people come out, that's because they're in your heart. It's not an accident. It's what's really inside of you. When you fly off the handle, that's a heart issue. When you constantly complain, that's a heart issue. When you can't say anything positive, that's a heart issue. When you constantly tell people all the things they can't do and that you can't do, that's a heart issue. When you tear people down with your words, that's a heart issue. When you lie to stay out of trouble, that's a heart issue. When you act like you're friends with someone through their face and then talk about them behind their backs, that's a heart issue. The source of your tongue issues are in your heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We need to learn to tame our tongues. It's a process that will never stop. You're never going to get to be mature enough or spiritual enough not to guard your tongue. And they're so powerful. These words are so powerful. A few words can ruin your testimony. A few words might stop someone from following Christ. Proverbs 18, 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. How you use your tongue is so important. There's enough complaining and negativity out there. There's enough of that. So speak life, speak hope, speak love, speak God's word, but don't twist it to fit your situation. Twist your situation to fit God's word. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The tongue is so small, but it steers your life. We need to guard our tongues, and that starts by guarding our heart. Every word comes, its origin comes from inside of our hearts. The prayer today, the challenge today, the ask that we ask of our God is God, search our hearts so that we can learn to tame our tongues. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. This is such a difficult thing for us to do. We're told on every side that our opinion matters and that we got to say something to everything that happens. We'd be much wiser to wait and to think and to ponder and to meditate instead of react. Maybe you found yourself over the last week, your tongue lashing out at the people that you love the most. What's going on inside of you? Maybe it has nothing to do with them. Maybe you're struggling at work and, and you're feeling uh, insecure. You're stressed out and you're taking your words and using them as weapons against the people that you love. We need to be careful. Our words have weight. Maybe over this past year you've used God's word as a weapon against people. And you've taken it and you've fashioned it to a point and you've stabbed people with something that is too precious to twist. God's word is too important 
And it's too holy to use against people by twisting it and making it say what we want it to say. To control people or to sway people when that's not what God's word was trying to say. And we need to be bold. We don't need to be scared to use God's word. But we need to make sure we're being true to what God's word really means. That might mean you need to not just learn a few verses, but look at a whole chapter. Look at a whole book. Not just repeat things that you hear other people say or share it. But find out what God's word really means. God, help us to view your word on the level that it should be viewed. I dare say when we take God's name in vain and we use God's word in a wrong way, it's a dangerous thing. And it should scare us. Heavenly Father, God, as we search our hearts for issues, Lord, that are evident through the words that we use, God, I pray you convict us, God, for where we failed you in the past week and month and year. God, help us to use our words to lift up your name and to glorify your name and to love you and to love our neighbor. The only way that we can even begin to uh, start to tame our tongue is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that we can have that is through coming to Christ, putting our faith and trust in Jesus and only Jesus as the only means to save us. Maybe that's you. You're listening. You're not sure that you know for sure that heaven will be your home when you die. You don't know for sure that God is your Father because you've never repented of your sin and put all your faith and trust in Jesus. Romans 5, 8 says that God commended his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, we had a sin problem. It separated us from God. But even though we were sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that we deserve. God in the flesh died on the cross for us. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call out to God right now. You need to understand that you deserve hell. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. What we earn and deserve for our sin is death in a place called hell. But Jesus paid that price. And you don't have to pay the penalty of your sin. You can call out to him right now. You need to understand you're a sinner. You need to understand that Jesus, uh, Jesus Christ paid that price of your sin. You put your faith and trust in him and only him, no amount of works or good deeds, only Jesus, only the cross and the resurrection. Dear Jesus, we love you. Help us to use our words for good. In your name we pray.